This is Marriage to the Max, episode number 53. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Marriage to the Max. I'm your host this week, Brett Hurst. And I'm Kelly Hurst. And we're both marriage educators and co-founders of Home Encouragement. And this podcast is designed to help you take your marriage to the next level. Well, today we have with us in the studio Dave and Terry Peterson. And we couldn't be happier because this isn't just any interview. This is very personal for us because Dave was our pastor for 16 years. Dave Peterson, now retired, was the senior pastor of Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church here in Houston, where we are, uh, for 18 years. And he and his lovely wife, his better half, Terry, are both originally from the Pacific Northwest, and you guys have been married now for how long? 44 years, I think it is. 44 years. In June. He has to ask. And of those 44 years, how many of those years was your marriage dedicated to pastoral ministry? We got married right after college and then did three years of seminary and then a year uh, in Europe. So I guess 40 40 of of the 44. (laughs) Virtually all of it. A long time. And you have four grown children, and you have four beautiful grandchildren, and uh, you guys have been tremendous mentors to us. That's uh, saying it lightly, both professionally and definitely personally, and we are thrilled to have you on the podcast today, so welcome. Well, thank you very much for inviting us to be here. It's always a treat for Terry and me to be with Brett and Kelly Hurst. Yes, because we love you. Well, it's definitely mutual. When we get to pick the brains of a couple who's been married as long as you guys have, you know, the range of topics that we can discuss is almost limitless. But for the sake of today's episode, we wanted to focus on the challenges and the privileges of being a ministry couple. When we use that phrase, ministry couple, that's where one or both spouses are involved in full-time ministry as a vocation. So... Hope you're up for that challenge. Let's focus first on the challenges of pastoral ministry as a married couple. In general, what would you say are the areas of marital stress that come to mind when you think back on your life together as a pastoral couple? What what are some of the challenges that first strike you? You first. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we were talking about this uh, a little bit earlier today. I think both of us agree that time management's been a a big challenge, just the, you know, the way ministry works, particularly uh, week weekends and evenings. Um, those are always forming some kind of a barrier, I think, to what you would consider to be uh, traditional family life. So we uh, we've struggled with that some. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we tried. I think one of the things that sort of worked for us was uh, summer vacation. And one of the great blessings you get, at least in ministries, you get a block of time. You can take a block of time in the summer if you'd like to. Mm-hmm. And so uh, summer vacation, we were really dedicated to that. And I wouldn't take very much time off during the year, but man, in summer, when summer come, would come, I'd take three weeks and we'd just go somewhere. And I think our kids all look back on that as pretty significant time 
I don't know. We'd start planning that in January mm-hmm. for the summer because we look forward to it so much. I, I admit that I would have quarterly meltdowns over the time <laughs> problem <laughs> because I felt like we never got a weekend and the rest of the human world had weekends and got to go places. Mm-hmm. So every now and then I'd kind of fall apart about it. But Dave was really committed to his preaching schedule. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would get over it. (laughs) And then we'd start planning our summer. And I think in the end, um, looking back now, I do wish that we had trusted that the church would still be there and we could have taken a few weekends off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we do have tremendous memories of our summer vacations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you took the calling seriously, obviously. And I mean, it is a sacrificial calling, no doubt about it. But it sounds like you guys worked hard and then played hard when you had that block of time Mm -hmm. in the summer. And also, probably Dave won't say this, but I've often thought about this. Our children, we have four children, they all, uh, I don't think, I don't think basically they would say they were denied. When he gets home, all the time we were raising kids, when he would get home at night, he was really committed to dinner times with the family. And time, you know, in Saturday night with the family just to try to make up. And he would take the kids to lunch during the week. Mm -hmm. So he found times Mm -hmm. to be a dad even though he had a grueling schedule at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, being together at dinner time was important uh, until – really until we moved to Houston. And by that time, our kids – two of our kids were out of high school and two were in high school. Mm -hmm. I was home virtually every night for dinner. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could always find a way to drive home, even if I had to go back to the church for an evening meeting. Mm-hmm. And I think dinner time was, was pretty important. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about kids now. How, what were the specific challenges to your marriage as far as that scheduling piece goes? In terms of the kids? No, in terms of you guys. Oh, oh, other than the kids. Yeah. Um, I think just... You know, my meltdowns, uh, my quarterly meltdowns had to do with really yearning for time away. Mm -hmm. Because even though dinner times were important and summer was great, I really wish that we had had a weekend together. Mm -hmm. And that's one reason why we have really supported your ministry. Mm Because I think, you know, you have to realize that life will go on Mm -hmm. if you take a weekend off. And it's so good to practice communication apart from your job and your the stresses of your work. Mm-hmm. So I still do wish we had had that, and I am loving that right now in our retirement. But I would recommend that people take some of those weekend times. Well, what about that? What about those weekends we took when we were living in Michigan? And you know, yeah. we, we'd go run down to Chicago and we left our kids with Mrs. Phillips. <laughs> yeah, we did the, that a couple of times, was didn't we? It the terror of our children's <laughs> lives. They still talk about Mrs. Phillips. <laughs> okay, let's see for, let's see, 44 years in the ministry. And how many years did we go to Chicago? <laughs> we went but, twice. but I loved it. I loved it. Yes, I did. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up the workload because I was looking up statistics for this interview. And, um, you know, it's not a secret, I'm sure, that many pastors' spouses view the work schedule and the workload as a source of conflict. And I thought this was interesting. Eighty percent of pastors feel they have insufficient time with their spouse because it just takes so much time. I had a pastor's wife say to me once, it's hard to compete with my husband's mistress, the church. Mm -hmm. And um, so – I think about, you know, seminary training. Do pastors really get this kind of training when they're in seminary of how to 
have a healthy rhythm, you know, serve the church. You know, so many pastors are in ministry because they love God, they love people, they love what they do. And it can be intoxicating to just keep working and stay longer and because there's never you can never meet all the needs mm-hmm. as a pastor. Um, so how or when did y'all learn how to prioritize things? And I know you didn't do ex- exactly perfectly. No one does. But I'm trying to think in terms of pastor couples who might be listening to this interview, what can they do to just kind of, you know, keep things... Put their marriage first. Yeah, and not let church work interfere so much in home life. This may go in a little bit different direction uh, than you were thinking, but I think one of the other big challenges for us in ministry has been just the way we're wired in terms of our ego needs. Mm. Um, I think we both depended too much on the things going well in the church for us to feel good about ourselves. Hmm. And that meant that when things weren't going so great in the church... Which happens a lot. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. pretty much every day. Yeah, (laughs) uh, You you know, that I don't know that we were able, especially early on, that we were able to be as much help to each other Hmm. because we both had the same need, Mm -hmm. had need for things to go well. But, you know, if you stub your toe often enough on something, you know, I think after a while you just realize it, it just can't we can't keep going on like this. We've got to develop some kind of independence life, some independent identity that's not always so bound up in, you know, the statistics of the church and, you know, your reputation in the community and all that. But we, we had, we've had to work on that mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yeah, I remember in previous church that I worked at, you know, I was just – I had my head down and was just doing what I needed to do and, and mm-hmm. trying to learn more about just – being a pastor and being in pastoral ministry and so forth, and it wasn't till we were, you know, far removed from that gig that Kelly informed me how close to danger our marriage had been during that time. I didn't even know it. You know, I thought we were fine. She was doing a lot, a tremendous amount of volunteering in that role with me, as is typical with with uh, ministry couples. It was almost a, a blessing that we made a switch. Because otherwise, might have sacrificed my marriage in that particular situation without me even being aware that we were in any kind of crisis or danger. It's so uh, scary when you look back and you realize, wow, you know, we've spent years without really facing some of these things. And we we were really busy raising our kids, too. Mm -hmm. And I think we were, we just didn't know how to do that. And you're right, that's something people need to learn. Our response to conflict or to anger or frustration was to be quiet and not talk to each other. Mm. And we did finally figure out we had to sit down and find times to visit about these things. And one of the things that we (laughs) realized, this is pretty funny, as a ministry couple is that it wasn't the church that comes first. It's God that comes first. Mm So we've... uh, I don't know how many years it took us, but we finally figured out we need to live our lives for God and not for the church. Mm -hmm. And when we were having those silent periods, we would get together and talk. And the gracious thing that happened was that we were both pretty forgiving. So Mm -hmm. that when we would talk about things that bothered us, we would make apologies. We would begin again. Neither one of us are so stubborn that we couldn't get over that. And I think, you know, keeping God central reminds you to be gracious and forgiving with Mm -hmm. each other. And that's a huge builder of marriage. Huge gift to one another. I I think we also learned 
that you know there are just some times when you don't get your own way, and yeah. <laughs> especially in ministry, they're just. I, I remember we had one of these. I think it was one of these trips where I was talking about a few minutes ago. You know, we're going to go to Chicago for the weekend, and somebody died, and, <laughs> and I had to stay and do the funeral. Yeah. And right. I remember having an out with God in the kitchen at the church. You know, come on, I've just one weekend. Can <laughs> I fair. give me a break here? <laughs> and you know, I just felt like God said to me. Uh, I can work this out. Yeah. And we, what we discovered was you don't always get to do it according to your plan, mm. but there's another plan, and God compensates. I, I guess I look at what at our family life together. God doesn't owe us anything. I mean, He hasn't left any piece of this thing out. He's mm. given us far more than we ever expected. We didn't get Definitely. it on the time frame that we expected, mm-hmm. or according to our preferences. But He's exceeded as He promised that He would. Um, all of our expectations. So learning, as Terry was saying, you just learn how to submit yourself to God through all this. Trust him. Mm-hmm. It's going to work out. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's and we remember, too, we're very lucky because we've loved each other since we were 15. So mm-hmm. the underlying strength for our marriage is a tremendous attraction to each other. Mm-hmm. We, we just really love each other. Mm-hmm. So we never wanted conflict to take over you know, to the point where we would forget how much we love each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Well, uh, one source says that 94% of pastors, and I always wonder if they really tell the truth on these types of surveys, but mm-hmm. uh, in this case, it sounds like they did. 94% of pastors feel under pressure to have a perfect family. Uh, when you're a clergy couple, and we, we joke about this a lot, you know, you, you've got a perfect family, or you do, or we don't, or whatever. Um but you can feel like you live in a fishbowl. You know, I remember our kids wouldn't let me walk through certain hallways of the church uh, on Sunday mornings because no, we'll never get him out of here, you know, because he oh, wants to. Oh, funny. They called me Chatty Cathy, you know. We'll, we'll never get to the car, that kind of thing. So whether that's a self-perception or otherwise, you know, it, it is true that there are people that are, are watching you, they're hearing your sermons, they're hearing you be vulnerable and transparent in your message and so forth. They're making a connection uh, with you, so they feel like they know you well and so forth. That can kind of mess with your head and mess with your marriage, I think. So how how do you navigate that in a healthy way? Well, first of all, you know, I'm a preacher's kid, and I can't. I, I have three sisters, so I saw family life in a church house from the inside all my life. I've known that, and we, you know, we've been hanging around with pastors for a long, a long time, so we know the chaos that goes on in pastors' families, and we've been with other people. Mm-hmm. And so we know every, no, nobody gets through this family thing without a lot of scars. And Pastors or otherwise. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. So I think for me, it, it was ne- I, I may be in the 6%. I've never felt like it was really important for us to have a perfect family. I don't ever remember feeling that way. I did feel like it was important for us to to at least give some kind of a model for what, for how you deal with your imperfections mm-hmm. faithfully, because we've all got them. So, mm-hmm. you know, rather than making everybody toe the line, it's more like, well, when you don't, let's do this in a way that gets us on the right track again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think we got over that early. Uh, it would be really nice to have a perfect family, and I think, you know, we wished we would have, but <laughs> the truth is, with four kids, you're not going to have a perfect family. And we discovered in the 
early stages that when something went wrong, people were tremendously sympathetic mm -hmm. and honestly appreciated our honesty. And we, we've had mm -hmm. some traumas with our kids, as mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And um, the community has been so supportive. And in fact, I think it's given people permission to share their troubles with us in a way that's different mm -hmm. than it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, when Dave was younger and his dad was a preacher, his dad told us about a time when Dave was misbehaving in the choir right in the front of the church, and he had to go over there and talk to him right mm -hmm. in the church service. <laughs> so um, we know about imperfection <laughs> when we so were funny. little. But uh, the other thing is that we really have discovered that the troubles that we've had in our family and with our children, mm -hmm. their struggles, as usual, have turned out to make us all stronger, and the result has been you know, so much more perseverance, understanding, endurance, mm -hmm. hope. Yeah. yeah, we've learned that too. So when your kids have trauma, you have an option of that either splitting you as a couple mm -hmm. or galvanizing your marriage. Mm -hmm. For us, it's definitely been the latter. Yeah, you almost have to expect it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think life is full of challenges and our job is just to figure out how to get through it. And everyone you get through gives you a greater sense of faith and hopefulness. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that now generate the kind of the new generation of pastors and pastors' families are understanding that whole idea of we don't have to be perfect and we can – I love how you said that – model how to manage imperfections. Mm -hmm. That's really the healthiest, mm -hmm. I think, way. And so maybe maybe that's more of an old-school mentality that we've got to have everything – uh, perfect. Maybe it's not so much, or at least I kind of hear from people that it's not as much of a image thing anymore, mm -hmm. which I think is great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think our kids felt that. I don't think we consciously tried to inflict that on them, but I mm -hmm. think they did feel personally like like they were supposed to be certain kind of people. I mean, mm -hmm. they they've said uh, some things about that in the years since, but we we yes. tried to fight against that. I think it mm -hmm. is hard for them because they, like you said, they feel like they're a little bit in a fishbowl and mm -hmm. people are watching them and that's difficult. For some kids, that's not a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For other kids, it creates kind of the black sheep mentality. I'm going right. to go off and be different. Mm -hmm. And we just have to hope that, uh, you know, I think that brings us to the other, uh, another subject and that is the joy of knowing our children love Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if they do, then no matter how much of this happens, they do come back mm -hmm. to their faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and really the pleasure of of knowing that people in the church are praying for your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our children. Yeah. Our children. So That's big. made a big, a big difference in our children's lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Well, I remember you telling me, Dave, you wouldn't even remember this, but this was in an offhand conversation we had in the hall years ago. It's probably about the time our kids were moving into adolescence and – you just kind of hinted to me. Things were going perfect, it seemed like, <laughs> in our family. Kids were doing great and having a lot of success as little kids, you know. And you just kind of dropped a pearl of, well, it may not always stay that way, you know. <laughs> and that I filed that in the back of my head, and it really did help me for later when, you know, like as you were saying, Terry, I mean, your kids naturally differentiate. They naturally, uh, particularly when they're, PKs, and, and you know that well, Dave, because you were one, just trying to find your own identity, trying to find your own place in this world and all that kind of thing. It's uh, that's a real tough thing to navigate as parents, but you got to let it happen. You mm -hmm. got to let it unfold in the way that's specific to their own identity. Sometimes you don't realize 
how this has all turned out until you've gone through the journey. You know, now we can look back and see that all four of our kids have really found themselves, the, their correct spouse, their job, and, you've, and you realize how God has put all these things together even while you were going through your doubts and worries, mm-hmm. and it's all worked out. Yeah. So. I think probably the big discovery for us was we thought getting our kids to high school graduation – that was the finish line. We're yeah. done. They're on their own. And man, I mean, the big stuff didn't come until after yeah. college. Yeah. And so yeah. it's a much longer, the duration of parenting yeah. is longer and more intense than we expected it to be. I don't know if that's more unique to the time we're living in right now. You know, all the studies is. say that people grow up more slowly in today's yeah. world than they used to. Even though it's weird. We expect that they're growing up faster, but in but the reality is everybody's growing up slower. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Now, they're we, becoming more sophisticated yeah. as young teens, and they know more. And, mm-hmm. But the the extended adolescence yeah. or whatever they're calling it now, you know, is really interesting. It's yeah. phenomenal. We were at a conference probably two years ago, and three different speakers at that conference said that that launching period. One person said twenty six. The next person said 28, and the last person said 30. And I was like, wow. <laughs> it ain't going to be 30. <laughs> like, it was exhausting us just listening to I it. I know. But on the other hand, it may be. So we well, just... that's why we have the healing room in our house. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, right. Somebody can move in with us every few years and get through the, the various trauma. traumas that's that awesome. your kids go through. Well, 30, in our family, 30 would be a pretty good number. It would. Yeah. 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 Well, I think, I think a lot of pastoral couples would be comforted, and parents in general would be comforted by that confirmation. So on a slightly different subject, that same resource says that 56% of pastors' wives will say that they have no close friends. Now, I don't think that was the case in your case, Terry, and 70% of pastors say they don't have close friends at all. So the point is that there is a certain isolation that pastors, and I think senior pastors in particular, really live with. You know, on your way out, Dave, you know, I remember thanking you for carrying the weight, the mantle of being the senior pastor. You know, at our church, we have a large pastoral staff, and so as an associate pastor, I haven't had to carry that ultimate mantle. You know, the buck stops here. So that gives me a lot of freedom to be a good family man and and to have maybe a more balanced life. But you guys, totally different situation. I mean, it's such such a, a sacrificial position to be in that senior pastoral leadership. What, how would you comment on that? You know, I don't know how other pastors manage this, but two things for us. The first one is we do, we have always had small groups that we were close to, and that's been huge for us. But also, um, we made up our minds early on that we weren't going to be selective about friendships, that we were going to be available Mm -hmm. to everybody. So we, we, it's true, we don't have one or two friends. We feel like we have a lot of friends. And whenever people invite us, we try as hard as we can to be there. The other thing is, and we have known this from the beginning, we are one another's best friends. Mm-hmm. So when we have time off, we just want to be together. We, we haven't actually felt a lack in that area. Yeah. Some people might, but in our case, it hasn't been true. We feel the same way. I mean, it, it helps when, mm-hmm. as husband and wife, we genuinely are each other's best friends, and then that does help you to, to as you said, accommodate the 
requests and invites, which right. are blessings. I mean, yeah, they are. And we love, to so many things. Yeah, we love all these people. We really do. I'm, I've never been the kind of person who needed a lot of girl friend time. Mm-hmm. Some people do, and I do love when I have time with other women, but I don't need it so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for those who do, I think, you know, you should just seek it out. Mm-hmm. It's okay yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. to do that. Good. Did y'all have friendships with other pastors and or pe- ministry couples? Was that meaningful for y'all to just be able to talk shop if you needed to, or was that helpful for y'all? Oh, well, for one thing, just the time commitments of local church conspire against that. It's just, it's just hard to find the extra time. Yeah. We've had a few of those friendships along the way. It's really hard to find another pastor-couple friendship where when talking shop doesn't turn into, you know, bragging about this yeah. and about that. <laughs> no, my church is yeah. Right. So. We've actually found more of that since we've retired. Yeah. Pastors yeah. calling on Dave and wanting his advice, and, and, our, and our friendships have deepened with other mm. pastors. Because they know we're not in a competition mode. Yeah. We just want to be friends and supporters. Yeah. yeah. That's such a great thing. Well, I want to ask you a different kind of a question. I have a friend of mine who, she's a Christian, but she's married to an unbeliever. And so we have conversations here and there, sometimes serious, sometimes funny. And she told me one time, she said, I just envision that all of you Christian couples have all these lofty spiritual discussions at your house, and everyone's got their Bibles <laughs> open. And you're, And I said... I hate to tear down your uh, <laughs> dream there, but our house does not usually look like that. And my question is, how does a pastoral couple keep their spiritual intimacy alive when the pastor is doing so much, you know, pouring into other people, you know, the staff or the congregation or whatever, doing their spiritual talk while they're serving? And then because I've heard pastor spouses say, you know, when, the, when he, he or she comes home, uh, they're talked out about God. You know, we don't really have a strong <laughs> spiritual intimacy. So I wonder how y'all managed that, or was it ever an issue for you? Yeah, I think some of that has been true for us. Just okay, I did this all day. Mm-hmm. Um, Give but, me a break. Yeah, <laughs> I know. When we were younger, earlier uh, married, I said, "Let's have devotions together." And <laughs> Dave said, "I have devotions all day long." <laughs> so you know what we have done though is kept our faith alive in all the ways that we've ministered. We don't do a lot of God mm-hmm. talk at home. However, you know, we when we have a question or when he's thinking about a sermon, sometimes we'll talk about something specific. But I have to say, he's been my pastor all mm-hmm. these years. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I go listen to him preach and he's not my husband. He's mm-hmm. my pastor. Mm-hmm. So I really do feel like our faith is, it isn't so much that we just sit and talk about God. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like God is the thing that he just surrounds us in every way. Yeah. So I'm, what I'm hearing is when you would hear him preach or you still hear him preach that you're focused on God and God is using Dave as an instrument in that moment and you're, you're really listening to what God has prepared for you through the yes, Dave's preparation. Plus I think just our daily life together is impacted by our desire to to put on the clothing of faith. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, what we're trying to do is live out what, what we've heard in the sermon, but we don't sit around and read the Bible together all day, no. Yeah. <laughs> now, there's one other um, aspect of that for me, though. I uh, I have felt a little a bit of guilt, like I'm, well, you do this all day, you don't do it with your family, uh, <laughs> like, like I'm supposed to, but... I, I do have some very sweet memories of my parents, especially in the last chapter of their life, where they would get up every morning and they would read a devotional book together and they would read the Bible together and they'd pray together. Mm-hmm. That's a, actually, for me, a very emotional kind of a thing. 
under any kind of circumstance, but more so when I'm with the people who mean the most to me in my family. I had this uh, professor at one point in seminary who, whenever he was in chapel, <clears throat> and it was, it was his responsibility to read the scripture passage, he always cried. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, there was something about that that it was just very touching to mm-hmm. me. And so when it's just us at home with our family, and I'm just surprised at how emotional I get. Mm-hmm. Just reading a scripture passage oh, together. It could so be a great. list of names from Leviticus, and <laughs> somehow it just touches me in a, in a way that's I don't really have a lot of control over, so I just don't want to be – I'm a control kind of guy, yeah. so I don't want to be that blubbering old man who just you know kind of wallows through scripture passages. So for me, some of the reluctance to do it is, is weirdly around um, – it just means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, we now that our kids are older, we find we pray together a lot. Mm-hmm. And if they're even over email, strangely, mm. if they tell us they're having a problem or something's wrong, we just send them a prayer on email. Yeah, it, it and that they know that that's okay. I mean, yeah. and they do the same thing for us. That's nice. And she sent me a prayer this morning and said, Mom, I'm praying you don't get Alzheimer's too soon. And I sent an email back to her saying, who is this? That's great. Anyway, do really, we do. We want it to be a natural thing and not just, okay, now we're gathering for prayer. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. That makes sense. And you are listening to Marriage to the Max. Welcome back to Marriage to the Max, and if you are in the greater Houston area, we want you to know that we host a monthly date night experience called Dinner in a Marriage. We'd love to have you join us. Visit dinnerinamarriage.org to find out more details. Well, we're continuing our conversation with Dave and Terry Peterson, and before the break, we were picking their combined brains about the specific challenges of being a ministry couple. Now we want to shift a little bit, talk more about the privileges and the blessings that can come from being married to someone in full-time ministry. As we shift into that, I want to tell a story about when Sarah, our oldest, was in, uh, I guess, about fourth grade. I was doing youth ministry at the time, and I was heading out the, the door on a Sunday evening to go do programming, and Sarah was being just real fussy and cantankerous, imagine that, <laughs> but uh, but particularly fussy and cantankerous, and uh, both Kelly and I picked up on it, and something was really bugging her, and so I stopped and, and said, what's going on? And she said, oh, nothing. She was just really being a, a, a pill, and I said, no, I really want you to tell Daddy what's what's happening, and she said, no, no, and we couldn't get it out of her. Finally, I said, Sarah, I really want you to tell me what's bothering you. And she said, no, because you'll just explain it away. 
and this was coming from a fourth grader, you know, and I called the church and told whoever was on my staff, you know, I'm not going to come in tonight. I'm going to, I've got something I've got to attend to. Had a conversation with Sarah and, you know, she was still reluctant, but we finally got into it. I said, Sarah, I want you, something's going on about me and my role in ministry and how you're responding to that. And I really want you to talk about it. Finally, she started talking. And I mean, she listed, <laughs> it could have filled, you know, a legal pad of, <laughs> of several pages of, of uh, just complaints, issues, and so forth, and sat and listened to every one of them. And really, most of them, there wasn't much I could do anything about, you know, but, there were, but she felt heard. There were a couple of things I could make changes on. And that was a real turning point, I think, in our relationship. What was your memory of that? Uh, I remember her listing out a lot of things and realizing as we, as she was listing her complaints, there were a lot of privileges too. Like, well, dad can come and take me to lunch uh, during the school Mm -hmm. week or, you know, whatever. And so it started as, this is what I'm frustrated about. I don't like you being a pastor. Uh, It was even things like, I don't like that we have to wait on you as we're walking down the hall on Sunday mornings because there's 50 people that want to talk to you. Um, But it ended up being a neat conversation. And I think she would even remember it that way, too. Yeah, and, you know, we, and I, it gave me the opportunity to talk about the great things about the church where we serve and how blessed we are. And she realized, well, that's true, that's true, that's true. Now she got to go on mission trips and all this kind of thing. So all of this to say, what, what are some of the general privileges that come to your mind as a result of being in ministry, both, both for your marriage and then for your family as well? Wow, you know, listening to Sarah's story, I'm thinking we should have had more of those conversations because I'm sure our kids were feeling that way, exactly that way at times, especially trying to get out of church. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, church for us, Dave would work all week and then he would work on Saturday all day and then church would be seven hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's it's a lot for kids to have to endure. Yeah. Um, But I think the you hit on one of the great privileges, being surrounded by people who love you. Mm-hmm. It's a community. The community of faith is really generally a community of love. And our children, I think, felt prayed for and loved all those years and even now appreciate it more than they did when they were younger. Mm-hmm. The other thing is we felt like the gifts of ministry were what made us stronger. You know, mm-hmm. it, we, we got so much um, ego satisfaction from just being among people and receiving their love and their kindness and their kind remarks and it just it, it built us up as people mm-hmm. and I, I sometimes I'll sit through communion and I'll think I'm in heaven this mm-hmm. is what heaven will be like mm-hmm. with all these people taking communion and loving God and uh, you know it's it's a wonderful way to live there are people who can't who don't have those kind of friendships and surrounding support. Mm -hmm. And we're very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Each of our kids, I think it's safe to say each of our kids have have been significantly mentored by someone in the church. Mm -hmm. And their adult lives now have been really impacted by that. So, uh, you know, there's that aspect. And we've always been in congregations where people, you know, they were very sympathetic to our family and to, you know, the circumstances that we were in and wanted to be a part of their lives, and so that's meant a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in the church and you're a pastor, you also have a laboratory at home 
we actually have to do the stuff yeah. you talk about. Yeah. And I think there's Are a you really serious? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's really an advantage in that. I also, um, you know, I get asked every once in a while who my who were some of your favorite professors in seminary, and if I thought about that for a long time, I might be able to come up with a couple of names. But but I always tell people the real my real education in the church, my real preparation for ministries come because we've been so influenced by members of churches who just they did the stuff that we talked about what people ought to do. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've been inspired by people's sacrificial living, by their by their commitment to their family life and their children, and, uh, you know, on and on and on. The great privilege of serving as a pastor is that you just get to, you get to be in the environment of people uh, uh, where, where the grace of God actually works itself out. Mm-hmm. You genuinely marvel at it mm-hmm. and some of the things that... Mm-hmm people even respond to in your preaching and so forth. That's yeah, I mean, more over and over it's happened to me that I watch the way people act out their Christian life and I say, I can't do that. Right. I, mean, I wouldn't do that. And right. Especially I'm the, I'm on the, the roads of Houston yeah. when in the traffic. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I want to mention about the mentoring. I'm so glad you brought that up because you two have mentored our children and specifically two of them. Uh, it has changed their lives, and it has changed our life as parents. And, you know, I think about marriage mentoring, any kind of mentoring mm. is huge, mm. whether you do it whether you do it from afar and watch, like mm-hmm. we do with some people in the church, or whether you do it up close and personal where you get input and you can really discuss your life. Mm-hmm. Wow, I mean, I, I think that is maybe at the top of the list of ways to manage life, and mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for it. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Well, (laughs) that's been a privilege for us. And, you know, we've talked about mentoring in the past before. It's such a two-way street, and you learn so much when you're in a mentoring relationship, whether you're the mentor or the mentee. It kind of doesn't really matter. God's in the middle of it. So that's really – I know I felt more blessed than probably either of your kids or any of your kids. So – Let's talk about this for a second. The differences between being a single pastor and a married couple in ministry. Both would have advantages. Paul even talks about this in the epistles. What are special strengths that can come to ministry as a result of being married? You know, as we're trying to encourage couples in ministry and not saying that one is better than the other, they both have different strengths and challenges. But what do you think are the blessings of being married? I think in our case, if you think of uh, the role of a pastor in the life of a congregation as uh, somehow the grace of God demonstrated in a personality, what you get with a pastoral couple is a fuller personality, if you think of the two in some respects as one. Because there are some things that that I do reasonably well. There are things that Terry does, you know, just so well. She's uh, we've talked about this before. You know, she's just a blessing factory. She walks down the hallways of the church. I, I write a book on blessing, but she actually demonstrates what blessing looks like. So I sort of do the thinking thing, and she does the demonstrating, the expressive part of it. And I think together, the, those, two person, those two independent personalities actually merge together in, into one kind of person, I think, in the life of a church. And uh, you know, I think that can be a great blessing to the church. She's a pretty sneaky secret weapon. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I know. We, I recall many you know sermons sitting under your preaching for 16 years, 
and hearing you talk about Terry and yeah. just her gifts and her traits and everything and just realizing that just you speaking so highly of her from the pulpit was such a blessing to the congregation to see how much you loved her. And and I think for, you know, and I hope this doesn't sound wrong, but I think all of our church would think of you as not just Dave Peterson, but it's always Dave and Terry Peterson. Right. You know, yeah. we just think of y'all together yeah. uh, because you're so good together. And I think that's that's nice. really plays out. And I, I do appreciate that, that he says nice things. He's very <laughs> sweet. On a day-to-day basis... I think the benefit of being a a ministry couple is that you can come home and kind of float your thoughts with Mm. somebody. Process. Intimately. Not, you know, you can really, yeah, you can process. And if you're upset about something, we we have, you know, we have these conversations and then it's over and we get it out of our system Mm -hmm. about anything that we're happy about or that Mm -hmm. we're unhappy about. Mm -hmm. If if you're um, a single in ministry, I think that's... One thing that would be really helpful is to find somebody in a mentor relationship where you can really mm-hmm. process these things without yeah. put, laying the burden on your let your <laughs> yeah. hair down in a safe right. yeah. environment. Yeah. So forth. Was yeah. there was there a rule in your house about whether you would evaluate a sermon or not? Because I remember hearing an interview with <gasps> Laura Bush once, and she talked about how she gave her two cents on one of George's speeches early in the marriage, mm-hmm. and he got so offended that she never <laughs> said anything. It was always that was a great speech, honey. You That's know, exactly <laughs> what happened. <laughs> early on, I was correcting his English and giving. Him ideas, and that was almost the end of a good thing. <laughs> and he, he, but he, this is really great. He said, "Why don't you just write me a note and mm. put it on my desk?" Because it was hurtful. Yeah. And you know, since then, uh, if I feel strongly enough about it, I'll write him a note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's been very gracious about it. Mm-hmm. But basically, I do say, "Awesome sermon, yeah. honey. That was <laughs> great," and I mean it. Well, yes. our friends Dale and Kathy Bruner, Kathy is just so uh, transparent with everything she thinks about, everything that Dale says. She'll stand up in the middle of one of his talks and offer a kind of a critique. Oh, I don't agree with that. And, you know, Terry said to me many times, you know, why can't you just be like Dale? (laughs) I don't know, but I'm just sort of a tender little flower here. You made a tenderfoot there. I know. We used to walk down the aisle together after the message was over on a Sunday morning, the service was over on a Sunday morning, and I... I always felt like the, like the little puppy dog, uh, <laughs> waiting, you know, hoping it was good, hoping it was wag my little tail, and, and you know there were times when she would say, uh, "God, it was just awesome," and then there were other times she would say, "That was really good," and I would think, "Well, <laughs> what, so what, awesome? what was wrong?" <laughs> and I learned after a while, if she didn't say anything, I really just shouldn't poke that anthill. <laughs> You know, you've all, you've got, all you have to do is wait six more days, and you can redeem yourself. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. Well, I liked what you were saying about having the ability to process, uh, we'll call it defragging a lot of times, you know, and just, it, it was always great for me to have a long commute home to be able to jettison ministry stuff and then come in the house and really be a, a husband and, and, and a dad and so forth. If you wouldn't mind, I just want to... One story you shared in particular in one of your sermons about your going to bed routine and how you shut your systems down. <laughs> you mind telling that story? Uh, yeah. Well, Terry, I would describe Terry as global, and I'm very sort of specific and local. 
so that when I go to bed at night, I compare it to shutting down a computer. You know, you, you've got to log out of all your systems that you've opened up, all the programs that you've opened up during the day, the websites and all that stuff, and it's a long process. And by the time I get in bed, you know, you come to that little last little message on the computer screen. It says, are you, you say you want to shut down. It comes back and asks, are you sure you want to shut down? I think one more time. I think, yeah, that's it for the day. <laughs> shut down. She gets in bed next to me, and her, you know, her computers are all logged into everything she's ever done. It's going like, you know, NORAD, boom, boom, boom. And so I'm ready. I've got my arms over my chest. And I'm ready to fall asleep, and she'll just ask. And she always knows how to ask the question. You know, the provocative question, one. Yeah, it's the one about the thing that you were supposed to do that you didn't do. You know, something like that. Do you know something that you are sure supposed to know? And you know, for me, that means I got a log onto the computer and start it up again and get into that program and by the time I'm done with that I'm in a cranky mood anyway that's I learned that this was out of control one night when he got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and I started talking to him (laughs) so that was kind of the end I thought okay when we get in bed I am going to zip my mouth I can lay awake for an hour but I can't talk something has to change Okay, last question. All Christian couples, whether they're in so-called full-time ministry or not, we're called as believers to some kind of service. What is something that you would want to say to every young, newly married couple that is entering into a life of full-time, maybe professional vocational ministry? I think I would quote, it's the Proverbs, I think, 24-7 or something like that. Guard your heart. With all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of light. No, that's not from from a different place in the Bible. Anyway, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of light. There are just so many places where you you have to be on guard in the way that you conduct yourself in ministry, the the way you talk to people, the way you look at things, the uh, the, the manner of your speech, and all of that stuff. And you have to guard that part of your relationship, I think, especially with your spouse, mm-hmm. uh, because there's just so many places where trouble can come, and you've got to be so careful. Mm-hmm. And I would say, keep things in perspective. Mm-hmm. Nothing that happens in the church is bigger than what happens in your personal life. And, you know, keep God where God belongs, keep your family where they belong, and try not to take everything that happens in the church so seriously, because you'll get through that. And invest in your family, number one. Mm, yeah. That's nice. Wow. It's been a real honor, privilege, and just a lot of fun. We were looking forward to today's interview just to get to hang out with you guys and, and to laugh with you. We knew we would be laughing hard at some point. So thanks for making the time to do this, and hopefully we can get you to the dentist on time, Dave. Oh, thank you for asking <laughs> us. It's been, you know, it's just always great fun to be with the two of you. And so thanks for asking us. Yeah, thank you. it's our privilege. Well, if you'd like to contact us, you can find us at marriagetothemax.org. You can also check out our website at homeencouragement.org. Also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you have a topic or a question that perhaps you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, send us an email to thehearsts. That's with an S at homeencouragement.org, and we'll do our best to get that question or topic on the air. And we hope that you'll help us out by rating this podcast on iTunes. This helps us get more visibility and thereby influencing more couples, hopefully, around the world. Thanks a bunch for listening today, and until next time, remember, healthy marriage, healthy world. God bless you all.